0: 17 years ago, I had a meeting with a gentleman named Rusty Keeley, and I shared with him that I did not know if I had what it took to become a motivational speaker, to build this business, to touch lives around St. Louis, around Missouri, maybe even as far as Illinois, and he challenged me to believe in myself, to cast a vision for impacting lives not only in our own backyard, but around the world. Since that time, we've had the opportunity and the honor of partnering with more than 2,000 clients in 50 states, a couple dozen countries, a couple million people. We've released now a couple, that's two, number one national bestselling books and have this remarkable podcast. Thank you for listening to it because of Rusty's vision, because of his belief, because of his challenge for me to imagine this impact and to pursue it diligently It has impacted my life. And not only that, but Rusty is a sponsor today of this podcast. Keeley Companies now does more than $500 million in annual revenue through construction and infrastructure technology, wireless logistics, and development solutions. It's their world-class people-first mentality that makes the biggest impact I've seen this firsthand in my life. The team, the Keeleans now feel in their lives, and those that are benefiting from Rusty and the Keeley work experience it in their lives. If you want to learn more about Rusty Keeley and that business, I encourage you to check out Keeleycompanies.com. KeeleyCompanies.com, or better yet, why not listen to the Live Inspired podcast where I celebrate our relationship? Check it out. It's episode two hundred and ninety-six. You'll experience there an in-depth conversation with my friend, the CEO of Keeley Companies. His name is Rusty Keeley.
1: Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary.
0: Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. Don't give up. You are worthy of love. Your mistakes don't define you. It is these three phrases that accidentally launched a global movement of hope and of love way back. And I'm talking way back in 2017, Amy Wolf was devastated to learn of yet another suicide in her small community in Oregon. It was one of several from that one year and stacked on the ones from the year before. It was more than she and her family wanted to bear. And so they wanted to do something to make a difference. Armed with only 20-yard signs, Amy, her husband, and two small daughters anonymously staked a few simple yet powerful words across their community. Within days, a few more orders came in, and then dozens, and then hundreds. Weeks later, they added a few additional messages, messages like, you matter. You're not alone. One day at a time. It's not too late. And then they added some products like wristbands and stickers and encouragement cards, and yet selling every single item at cost. They weren't doing this to make money. They were doing this to make a difference. Soon their products began shipping not only around their neighborhood, but around the entire community. Then around every county in Oregon then around every state in the United States, and then, most recently, more than two dozen countries around the world have these signs gracing front yards. It matters. It matters because I've been impacted directly by these signs. You see, I first became familiar with the story and seeing these little white signs with their black letters around our community right here in my own backyard of Webster Groves, Missouri. Signs like, you matter. You're not alone one day at a time. It's not too late. Don't give up. You're worthy of love. And every time we would drive by, I would read the sign aloud and I would say, hey, kids, hey, Jack, Patrick, Henry, Grace, don't give up. You're worthy of love. You matter. And it was an opportunity to share grace, to share connection, to talk about things that mattered as we drove to school, drove to the grocery store, drove to a practice, drove around life, reminding my kids that they are invaluable. The little things in life aren't, my friends. Let me say that to you again. The little things in life are not. We're going to have today the mastermind of this global movement that began with three simple signs in her small town with no expectation whatsoever that anyone ever outside of that small town would ever hear of these signs, see these signs, or be impacted by these signs. Her name Is Amy Wolf. She's got a remarkable story. She's got a remarkable upbringing. She's been through the ups and downs that all of us have in life. It's a story of heartbreak, of redemption, of overcoming, of faith, of love, and of the fact that the little things in life aren't. You're gonna love Amy Wolf. You're gonna love her story. So, what I'm gonna encourage you to do right now is to grab a piece of paper. Grab a little journal if you have that nearby, grab a pen, open up your mind and your heart, get ready to take some notes and welcome to the Live Inspired podcast, my newest friend and now yours, her name is Amy Wolf. Amy Wolf, honored to have you on. Welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary.
1: I'm so, so honored to meet you. I feel already very warm and that you are just authentic and I'm just excited to have a conversation today.
0: Well, in the conversation today, I thought it would be primarily around yard signs. As you heard in the introduction, <laughs> uh, it's changed my life. It's it's changed so many other lives. And when I found out who began the movement, I'm like, how cool. Let's bring her on and talk about it. Yeah. But in reading your story and in hearing your journey, this is, yeah, it's about yard signs. Yeah, it's about the impact. Yeah, it's about doing little things well but you've got quite a story to unpack. And I'm excited to share part of that with our listeners today. So Amy, why don't we begin with where you are right now? When you meet someone at a grocery store and they (laughs) say, Amy, Wolf, hmm, what do you do for a living? How do you respond to that?
1: I have two answers. (laughs) One is, well, you know how a lot of people feel uncomfortable with public speaking or presentations, Well, I own a speaker coaching firm that gets hired by companies to equip their people to present more confidently and clearly so that we're less afraid, we're more influential and have more impact or sell more products or whatever the outcome might be. That's my day gig and no one knows about it because it's not in the news right now, yard signs are. So if people know me under a different context, then you know how we all suffer with, dark days, losing a job, losing a loved one, depression, anxiety. Well, I heard of needs in my community and I stuck kind words on yard signs. And now it means I run an accidental global movement of spreading hope and love. The results are that people are encountering hope unexpectedly and it's just enough to stir courage for the next right decision in their life.
0: Boom. I mean, we could drop the mic and say, okay, on the next week's <laughs> podcast, we'll be talking about, but I, I want to hear how we accidentally begin a global movement of hope and encouragement, of love and togetherness and unity and all these beautiful terms that sound so trite.
1: hundred percent. And yet-
0: it's working it's doing what it was intended to do so I, I rather than talking about the signs yeah. and the phone calls and the chance encounters i want to back up even farther than that i want to learn more about your family of origin yeah. in reading your book i feel like i look up to your mother and father so would you yeah. just begin by bragging about your oh, mom?
1: are you yes i would love to yeah i grew up with uh, very active, involved, affectionate parents. And in the book, you hear how they didn't make me earn their love and I also knew I couldn't lose it. As a rule follower, instead of making mistakes and feeling like I might lose it, I had convinced myself deep subconsciously somehow that I could earn it, that I can follow the rules and I could get good grades and I'm actually deserving of right. it. And that's the pendulum swing. And yet my parents were very clear that like, you don't earn it and you, you can't lose it. So that was huge in my childhood. I grew up with a a brother who was older than me, about four years older, Jeremy, and really kind of typical childhood with a very loving home. My mom is a pastor, which is interesting. And my dad is a businessman and they are, My mom's outgoing, my dad's reserved, and I'm just right in that sweet spot in the middle. I'm task-oriented. I help run the business with my father. I'm very relational like my mother. So I'm a byproduct of both.
0: We're going to talk more about your mom and dad here shortly as we go through some stories that change the arc of your life. Mm -hmm. Talk about Jeremy. For those of us lucky enough to be raised in a family where we had others around us, whether that's a cousin who was there all the time or a sibling that you got to literally be raised next to and with, you certainly looked up to your Jeremy.
1: Yeah, I did. I, well, we fought a lot, uh, st- you know, typical, that was normal. And then, yeah, then, in the summer of 1998, we went to the same church camp where I was going to be a freshman. He was going to be a senior. And now we're socially at the same camp for a week. And I remember thinking, ew, all these girls are flirting with him and getting, and then like shouldering up to me, his younger sister. And I remember thinking, I think is my brother kind of cute, maybe he is cute. And we just fought a little less. We had that camp experience. And about a couple weeks later, we were going swimming on a Sunday afternoon after church with friends at a local lake. And it was just me and a friend and his older friends that went out. He went swimming, got tired, tried to turn back to shore and got fatigued quickly. I heard the commotion, I walked to shore, I see him, I holler at him, encouragement, and he hears me and we make eye contact, but it's just deep and he's tired. And so finally, for the last time, he disappeared under the water and I watched his air bubbles come up to surface and panicked. We called 911, strangers, tried to jump in the water to help. And, you know, John, I was moved Watching and hearing and learning of your story because my mind immediately went to your brother. Yeah. And that your brother could save you, and I couldn't save mine. And at 14, I had to learn a really hard life lesson like, what do I really believe? So I grew up in a family of faith. So does God really exist? Two, if he does, is he just mean? <laughs> Three, if he does exist, maybe he's sovereign. And I just don't get it. I just won't get it. That it won't make sense here. And at 14, I had instant peace that God is real and sovereign. And I just won't get it. Where did that come from? Because 14, a lot of boyfriend drama headed into high school three weeks later. I mean, I had a very typical life in that sense. And yet this deep burning desire make my life count. I Mm. don't know how many days I have left. And like you at a young age, very keenly aware of how fragile life is.
0: Five years ago, I'm speaking in Albuquerque, New Mexico to a group of business owners, big wigs, man, successful ladies and gentlemen. And at the very end of a three and a half hour leadership session, one of the gentlemen comes up to me and says, can I have a few minutes of your time? Absolutely. So we go outside. He's probably in his early seventies and he just starts weeping. And then he shares that when he was seven years old, he had a little family pool and uh, his five-year-old brother jumped in. And he watched his brother and he watched him panic and he watched him tire and he watched the air bubbles get out. But the seven-year-old did not really know how to swim well and did not really understand fully what was going on. And he watched his brother submerge for the final time. And he says, John, it has haunted me for the last six and a half decades seeing my brother slowly pass away in front of me, not being able to do anything for him. I, I'm, I'm curious when I read your book, when I read that story of your Jeremy and you on the shore and you watching him and the inability to move and to act and to save, how has that affected you as mm-hmm. a 14 year old and then as a 15 year old, and then as yeah. you graduate high school and step into yeah. life, like how, how, has that moment in time been with you yeah. in every moment that followed?
1: Yeah. I feel spared if I'm going to be totally transparent. I have no trauma. I have no flashbacks, no survivor guilt, no fear of water, nothing. And I sometimes hesitantly share that part of my story because it's not everyone's story. Right. And I feel for people who have a memory of 14 or seven and they can't live it down. They can't reconcile it and can't move on. Um, It's just not my story. Yeah uh and so if anyone's listening and that's you uh you're not stuck that there's freedom from that i don't know what that looks like for you uh i have some ideas and they're written in chapter 10 of the book but <laughs> uh i just i just want to be really uh, i want to honor that everyone is different when i was 14 I went right into high school, right. Three weeks later. And so then it was homecoming and then my license and my first boyfriend and, and my parents had to make a really, I didn't know this clear choice to let Amy live where they wanted to shelter me and they didn't want me to go out. And I, I was unaware, but they, hindsight, goodness gracious. Here's someone who's wanting to go and explore the world. You're worried about her trauma. Is she healing? And yet you're having to say, yeah, see you later for a beach day. Are you coming home ever for me? What if it impacted me one? Yeah. Really clear sense of bigger purpose and perspective that life is fragile. And I don't know how many days I have. Urgency, which looks a lot like impatience as an adult. (laughs) My husband says, choose your battles. I'm like, they're all worth choosing. And, uh, but also it means that when I hear suicides in my community in 2017, I do something. I'm a doer, I can't sit on things. I have to, I'm always compelled to do something. And I'm not one to say, go and deplete yourself on behalf of other people that we need self-care of certainly Uh, But man, I am poured in by my parents, by my family, by my friends. So I pour out and that's where uh, the capacity comes from.
0: Mm. You write beautifully in the book about how others were pouring into you, not only throughout your life, but in particular after the crisis of, of losing your brother, you know, funerals and wakes. I think most of us are awesome, man. We show up, we put on the right suit, the right dress, get the right pair of heels, yeah. Say, try to say the right things or try to just be there present in real time for that yes. first few days. But then you said, John, listen, a lot of folks show up. Then it was the individuals who showed up over the long haul that made the greatest impact in our lives. Can you just share a few examples yeah. of what that might look like? Cause I think all yeah. of us want to do more. Yeah. But a lot of times we don't even know what that looks like. So yeah. what does more look like? What did it look like for you and your family?
1: Well, John, you and I both had a day and probably for being honest, more than one where it goes down as a day we never walk away from. Yeah. And August 9th was the day I never walk away from. And there have been friends even recently within the last year that experienced a day they could never walk away from. As someone who maybe hasn't experienced the same kind of suffering, maybe you didn't witness the death or maybe fill in the blank and your friend is going through a thing or family and you're thinking, what do I do? What can I do? what is helpful there? I have a couple of suggestions. (laughs) Number one, showing up and being available is the most helpful, not your words, not your Bible verses, not your accolades, not time will heal, not answers, not solutions showing up and going, I'm here. I love you. (laughs) So we make it too hard and we get nervous. Pain is uncomfortable. We don't know what to do with other people's pain. Just sit in it. Mm. Just don't hurry it. Don't brush it off. Don't diminish it. I'm here. And for me, it means text messages every August 9th from several people I love 20 years later, I remember, and that's it. It's so simple. And in this, in the book, you, you heard my father and what he does for other people who have suffered a loss of a son or daughter. We-
0: before you share the story, because I'm oh, going yeah. to make you slow roll it out there. Because okay. <laughs> people need to grab pens. Uh, if it's morning, cup of coffee. If it's afternoon, evening, or midnight, a tall glass of wine. Because you will need it for this one.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, it's one of the most beautiful stories of redemptive mm. suffering. Of like yeah. making your pain a gift for someone else who is in pain. So that together yeah. you can get through this thing. I've, I i do not think I've ever heard a story more beautiful and it's tenderness. So yeah. I, I just want to share before you even offer up this story, yeah. how much I respect your family mm. and your dad for not building a fence around his grief, but building a bridge toward others.
1: Yeah. My dad is really reserved, right? So even doing launching a book and it dedicated to Jeremy and talking through our story and talking about Jeremy a lot, uh, I often wonder if he listened to all these, if it hurts him a little. And so as a daughter talking about Jeremy a lot and knowing my dad's more reserved, it's like, oh, I hope I'm not poking at my father's tender heart when he has to relive it, hearing all my interviews. Um, but he's, he's so supportive. He's just wired differently than me. I process out loud and I wanna share. And he just holds really close the wounds and the stories, which makes what you're about to hear even more remarkable about him. Every summer, we know that there will be drownings at a local lake and river. Yeah. They come, we can almost feel the tension rising in us in the spring as it warms up here in Oregon because we know it's coming. And when they come, my dad chooses to wait a few months. He finds their contact information of these strangers and he eventually sends them an email. And I, the, the email is... Really simple, essentially us two. I'm so sorry. But what he also does is offers a gift. When Jeremy died about a month later, a high school friend and I were sitting at his gravesite doing homework. <laughs> and my friend said, "We should put a journal up here so people can write in it when they visit Jeremy. And she brought a journal and people started writing in it. Letters to Jeremy, letters to us, his family, Processing out loud, their own struggling. And pretty soon we realized this has been a healing tool. So my Mm. dad is a woodworker. He makes beautiful things. And he made a wooden box. And he had Jeremy's name engraved in the top. And he made it waterproof. And at Jeremy's headstone, a couple miles from this don't give up office, there is a wooden box. And in it is the beautiful hand written notes from friends, strangers, family, writing still 20 plus years later in this journal. And so every family that he comes across who has suffered in a similar way, he makes them a box and he engraves their son or daughter's name at the top. and. He, I don't know if he's ever had someone say no, I don't think he has. I remember sitting just a couple years back in the family room of a family here in town who lost their son in a drowning accident. We didn't know each other and we're entering the deepest wounds with each other. And my dad is weeping, handing them the box mm. and, it's, and, it's, and it's brave because he's choosing to stay tender it's brave because my dad is willing to relive his pain to help other people when it would be perhaps more comfortable to build that wall, to put it away, to stop talking about it.
0: Right. It's so touching because I can just imagine your father in some little workshop getting splinters in his little hands and feeling the pain and smoothing out the wood and carving in the name, whether it's Jeremy or Amy or Amanda. Yeah. And then the gift of some stranger. I've almost always found that when you go through struggle, it's almost never who you think will be there for you, who is there for you. Mm. It's, it's frequently not your sibling or your parents mm. or your spouse even. Mm. It's this random one-off It's your dad stopping by somebody else's house near Portland and dropping off a wooden box and saying, Hey, listen, Mm -hmm. uh, we lost the most priceless gift in our lives too. Mm -hmm. And this brought us hope and meaning. Mm -hmm. We hope it does the same for you. Hugging them and then walking out the door. Like it's your dad is a reminder to all of us that the little things in life are not
1: right. And you know what else he does? And I, and I write about this concept in the book. It is such low hanging fruit to walk with people in their suffering. He not only does that, he puts their date in the calendar and he sends them an email and he copies me. So I see it because he wants to do it on behalf of our family. He sends an email a year later. We have not forgotten Mm. a stranger. I mean, a stranger emailing and saying we have not forgotten. And he does it every year. And that is such a simple way, you know, how small acts of love can change your world, barf, cliche. I mean, really, truly, except, except if we show up for each other, if we stay tender, if we offer our pain as empathy to others, as a gift, then I think we can change through love, through people feeling seen, through healing together, linking arms, not doing it alone, recognizing this life Sucks sometimes, and we don't get it. And I will sit with you through your pain. Man, imagine if everyone felt that. Imagine.
0: Well, and it it seems impossible. So we just turn our backs and get busy again doing the unimportant. But the way you do this work, and I have a picture in my office, the wall behind us, where the camera is hosted, is uh, all my podcast guests. And Amy, your picture will be up there shortly. In front of me, in front of the camera, this is my family. This is why I do the work that I do. My wife and my four babies, my parents, my siblings, our grandparents, I love those guys. That's why I do what I do. But over to the right of the video, these are the individuals throughout history who quite literally changed the world. Mm. And we can go through one by one, but the one that shines at me right now, Mother Teresa. On the day she died, her little organization was taking care of 30 million orphans. Like. That's 30 million little kids were taken care of because one woman on a train made a 90-degree turn toward India, toward the least among us, and changed the world one life at a time. And so the movement you're referring to, the reason why we typically don't step into it is because it's impossible when we think about the macro. But when we think about the micro, remembering one anniversary, sending out one tender note, sending out one wooden box, offering one evidence of love, that's how it's always been done. And so there's reason to believe that we too can change the world. And Amy, I'm going to fast forward a little bit through high school, th- through prom, through college, <laughs> through your first couple jobs, through mm-hmm. Rwanda, where we could spend a lot of time mm-hmm. and move all the way into spring. I think it's April, 2017. Yeah. You're at a family, kind of a small group gathering, kind yeah. of a Bible study, book yeah. study with a couple of friends, a couple of kids. Yeah. Talk about how that experience began this movement, that indeed would change the world
1: yeah my friend mark is a biology teacher in our chit chat before we we normally discuss and go through a book before our formal discussion we were just talking and he said you wouldn't you wouldn't believe the suicide rates right now in our community I don't remember the number I just remember thinking I can't do nothing Mm. I just can't am I qualified nope am I busy Yep. Am I already doing good? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I am. And I will do something. I have to. I had this vision of yard signs for years. They had nothing to do with suicide. It was the vision of a black and white sign that said, don't give up. It was so clear in my mind. I thought it was so stupid, but it kept coming back to, I just kept thinking about it at random times in that spring of 2017. I thought, I'm just going to print these signs. (laughs) I put them in my trunk the day we were going to stake them. It was a rainy Saturday afternoon here in Oregon. Husband buckled my two young daughters in the car. He jumped in the the driver's seat. I put the signs, 20 of them. Says, don't give up on one side. You are worthy of love on the other. And your mistakes don't define you. Put them in the trunk and thought, this is the stupidest idea I've ever had. This will help no one. This is actually embarrassing that you thought you could help but I'm really frugal and it was $140 and that was a lot of money to us. So I'm like in the trunk, let's do it. And I yanked my daughters out of the car and said, you're knocking on strangers doors with me. How could they resist you? And when they, people saw no hashtag, no website, no agenda, young family trying to do something, not religious, nothing, just a family trying to do something. People took it out of our hands. Yeah. Drove home, oh my gosh, heart beating. Wonder if people saw it. Have people had a reaction? Do you think it helped? Okay, just let it go. Doesn't matter. Well, within days, it had blown up on our community discussion pages. Where'd they come from? I want one in my yard. I'm going through a divorce. I'm fighting cancer. I'm struggling with an eating disorder. I had a heart attack and have to change my life. I people saw hope for themselves through whatever lens of suffering and they encountered unexpected hope that stirred courage. And the messages have not stopped pouring in for four years from all 50 states in 26 countries, product in different languages. We sell them all at cost. We don't make a penny. This is not my day gig. It's not what we set out to do. I wish someone else thought of it first and could (laughs) run a nonprofit and make money off of it to fund an idea. That's why we we exist to uh, give people tangible ways to show up and do something
0: for people who are hurting. So I'm, I'm just gonna have to kind of slow play this thing a little bit because you go from the 146 bucks or whatever and a few signs and your your poor daughter's being incorporated into the sales <laughs> gig with lousy branding and no website okay. and no hashtag. You did everything wrong. Everything wrong. I know. I know. And sometimes to change the world, you got to do things in a completely uncommon way which is ultimately what this, this entire thing is. You, you, you post online in, in May, you get a few more requests, a few more requests, yeah. a few more requests. Eventually, you know, you're busy and you go on a vacation, you <laughs> take your phone and turn the thing off for yeah. six days. And on yep. day seven, you know, day seven, you turn it back on. T- tell me what happens.
1: Yeah much needed vacation. Hawaii had never been first big vacation with the family in the condo 10 PM at night, the night before we leave. And I've been real good. It was my seven day Sabbath. It was no phone, no work, no social media, no emails. And as a doer, that's actually kind of painful. It's not necessarily fun. It took me a few days to not to get out of my head, but 10 PM Thursday night, friend texts me. We tried to fulfill the orders, but we ran out of product. What? I mean, we were getting a couple orders a day. So I was only gone five, six days. What's going on? I decide to jump into the emails just to see what the heck they're talking about. And there are hundreds of orders. What? And then I found this email from a guy, Colby out of Seattle, Washington. I know he ordered signs to put on his daughter's school property. And I get an email from him and it says, good morning America is trying to reach out to me. I don't know what to do. Please call me. I know you're on vacation. And I thought, what Why are they trying to get a hold of you? An article about him went viral and they, people were starting to ask, well, where did his signs come from and found us that night? I scrolled through media requests. Hey, we want a press kit. Do you have a press kit? Put on my to-do list, Google, what a press kit is. <laughs> and in the airport, right. the next day I took and I scheduled my interviews at the airport the next day and my world exploded Washington post, all these big national platforms. And this is with no marketing, no PR, no branding. You'd have to Google what on earth are these to find us? And it exploded in the most beautiful way. A month later, it meant a literary agent sent me an email and it had one sentence in it. I think it was super short. Saw an article about your movement. Have you thought about writing a book? And here we are, mm-hmm. two, almost two years later. How many
0: signs have moved through that little office that you find yourself hanging yeah. out in Oregon?
1: Yeah, you say, this is your storage room. No, it's not. It's the whole office. It's such a small ship being run over here. There's three of us that process orders once a week. So we're in here every other day. I mean, it is just so it's so funny when people go, wait, what? You don't pay yourself. There's just three of you here in Newburgh. What is going on? I don't know, friends. John, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> we are responding to what people want is what we're doing. And we're just letting it come.
0: I know you've shipped to 50 different states. I know. Several dozen countries. Do yeah. you have any idea how many signs in total?
1: Oh, we hit a major milestone. We're announcing it this week on our socials that in four years, we just hit over a million tokens spreading hope worldwide. Awesome. I think of that, I'm going to guess around 40,000 are yard signs, yep. a couple hundred thousand are wristbands, thousands of stickers and car decals driving down the road. Can you imagine doubting your self worth and seeing in someone's window? you got this, or you're worthy of love. I mean, it's just crazy, the influence of a million, a million. I wanna go
0: through a few of the signs that you have out there and have you tell me why you think these words matter. And then after that, I'm gonna go through a few stories of individuals Mm -hmm. that you've helped impact Mm -hmm. without even ever meeting them physically. I mean, I just think that's so cool. Like that's the ability of our lives to elevate and impact and inspire someone else that we may not meet this side of eternity. So let's begin with probably one of the very first signs. Yeah. Don't give up.
1: It was the original, the OG. I knew that was the message that was what was in my mind's eye for so many years. I think because when Jake and I, met in high school. We were on and off, my husband on and off, really dramatic, not sweethearts. And then we finally got married and everyone a big sigh of relief from all our friends. Like finally just do it, just right. commit. It over with. Yeah, and we've been married over 15 years now and they've been hard years And that I'm really grateful that my reserved husband chose vulnerability, that I could write about that in the book and include the years that I felt hopeless when other people had to hold hope for me because I wanted out of my marriage. Mm. It was too hard. My needs weren't met. And I mean, there are so many reasons. So the don't give up for me personally came from people in my life who didn't say, yeah, Amy, yeah, let go. You tried hard enough. You're right. It's all his fault. Yeah. Instead, I had friends say, I know you're trying. And I know Jake's make mistakes. Don't give up. Mm don't give up. It's not, it's not the right decision. And I'm And oh, that's a brave, that's a brave soul uh, to say that to someone. I think we need to be careful about who we speak those words to and when, but that's why I don't give up on a sign. For me, people held me, uh, accountable is kind of a too strong word. People stirred up hope for me that my marriage was still redeemable and it was, and it is, and it's Mm. way better. (laughs) We're still human, but way better, way better. And we're a team. So that's why I don't give up.
0: I'm just going to go through a couple more. And I want to thank you for sharing that story. And also in reading it in the book, it's so obviously vulnerable for you to write it. But if you're trying to stay married, you've also got (laughs) to run that by your husband. Oh, hundred percent. This thing. So the vulnerability Mm -hmm. is not only yours to take, but also his, and for you both to say, you know what? like everyone's dealing with this. Let's be real. No one has the, the perfect Facebook image. Uh, the cruise was perfect. The kids were awesome. Hashtag blessed. It's a lie. Life is really hard. Relationships are very tricky. Don't give up. That's it's a great reminder. So tell your husband, thank you for allowing me. Yeah. You know, what about this one? You are enough. You are enough.
1: Ugh. this is good. I actually, I don't know if you remember this in the chapter, each, there's a mini chapter about each message mm-hmm. on our signs and why we chose them or what the story was behind it. And this one is interesting because I actually say in the chapter, but you aren't enough, but you are, but you aren't, but you are. I think that message came just from a general sense in culture that says you're not skinny enough, successful enough, rich enough. Oh, black enough, conservative enough. Uh, an advocate enough, generous enough. I mean, fill in the blank where people have felt not enough because someone has this measuring stick of how much they truly belong or don't, Mm. right? And so I think that was just a general motivation was culture was saying all these messages where we're not feeling like we live up to anyone. But the flip side of that is we don't have what it takes to do this messy life on our own. We are enough. We have to do it together where you are enough. You don't have to hustle or prove anything. Also find people to do life with who help you.
0: Thank you. <laughs> what about this one? I, yeah. I had to look it up in the translator. Tu Velez. Tu ah, Velez.
1: Yes, you matter in Spanish. Uh, this interesting enough, my 10 year old daughter said this was her favorite and we don't speak Spanish. So I was kind of confused by that. And she said, because anyone could see that and feel like it was for them. And I think she was recognizing people in our community that would feel more seen by offering in their native tongue, a word of hope. And so that's You Matter in Spanish.
0: Mm. I think that's so awesome. And I've seen a couple of yours floating around St. Louis on bumper stickers that are in Spanish. And I've always thought if I lived in a place where English was not the primary language and then I saw someone else driving around with a, a, a meaningful bumper sticker in my native language, how awesome that would be for me. So although I'm thrilled that your little stickers and signs are all over the world in the language of, you know, of the individuals there, I think there's just something really cool that there's a lot in the language of those individuals, not in English right here in the United States.
1: John, can I tell you something a little sad? Yeah, We have a variety pack where you can buy a bunch of our signs, uh, all different kinds of messages in a variety pack, and we get asked once a month to take out the Spanish.
0: Well, it reminds you of the reason why you're doing this work in the first place. Well,
1: I just, I want people to be seen. And although you might feel like, well, there's just, just not a big population of Spanish speakers. Well, there might be one there might be one. I don't know. I'm not, I try not to make assumptions. We get some interesting responses from people. I try not to make assumptions, but oh man, everyone everywhere deserves to feel seen and heard.
0: Well, I'll make the assumptions for you. When people (laughs) send things like that your way, it is not a reflection of you or your work or your signs or the language that they're printed in. It is a complete reflection of them. And candidly, there's shallowness, there's self-centeredness, and the arrogance of thinking that one language or one passport or one person has it all figured out. So it goes right back to you are enough because the lie is you speak the wrong language. You're not woke. You you voted the wrong way. All this garbage. So you are enough and your signs in Spanish remind us of that. Yeah. So keep them coming and uh, please start forwarding those. Uh, those <laughs> no, I will not. I love receiving thank you letters from our community and notes and videos and packages. Like it's deeply meaningful, truly. What is most motivating for me though, is when I get emails like the one you're referencing, where they tell us how we are doing the work poorly from a place of judgment, not from helpless, like I want to You get them. that too? Oh gosh, every day. But for me that's what that's what motivates me. That's why I get here early and sometimes stay late cuz we, we want to we want to just not only serve the ones who are ready for this message of living inspired mm. but really serve the ones who aren't. That's the call. And well I then think-
1: you you really resonate there's a chapter in the book about when we try to spread some love and it backfires. You must have really resonated with some of those where our intentions were construed that everyone has, there's going to be someone who's a naysayer. And what do we do? So our pride doesn't flare. What do we do? Can we pause and go, well, what are my intentions? Maybe this is a good moment to self-reflect, even though I'm ticked at their email. (laughs) Maybe I can be humble and reevaluate where I'm from or why am I doing it? Am I doing good? So I feel good. (laughs) like there's so many questions to ask ourselves but sometimes loving well putting yourself out there taking the risk doing a good thing doesn't always have this outcome we thought it would
0: and that's okay
1: and it's okay
0: listen be motivated by the million plus (laughs) signs stickers and elevation that you're having in the community right now and speaking of which million signs million stories would you be willing to share one or two that have come back to you in one way or another and uh why they matter to you
1: yeah my brain races at this question because there's so many i don't know which one and i want i want there to be a this question
0: pick your favorite daughter oh
1: stop yeah right totally uh that's kind of how it feels although i do have favorite chapters of a book which i don't know if authors are supposed to but i certainly do absolutely There are so many stories that I could choose from. One, there was a young man. He was 28 days sober. He is driving to his AA meeting and he's thinking to himself, I don't have it in me. I don't know if I wanna stay sober. He is driving in circles around where the AA meeting is, uncertain if he's gonna show up. And in this St. Louis, uh, there in St. Louis, in the suburbs, he was driving around and he sees a sign in the middle of nowhere in someone's yard. And I said, don't give up. And he saw it as a sign for him, turned around his car, drove into a parking lot, walked into the building, sat down. I didn't know if I was gonna make it today. I don't know if I wanna be sober today, but I showed up. Hmm. Someone in that group was a woman who was heart pounding listening to his story because a few weeks earlier, her rabbi in her Jewish synagogue did a sermon about seeing other people and not diminishing our pain and mental illness and gave everyone in the congregation a yard sign or a wristband or a decal to go spread some hope. Take it for yourself or give it away. So she knew in that neighborhood where that sign came from. And now she was seen firsthand, someone having an unexpected encounter with hope. And so the, the chain, John, just the chain, the triggers of this person said a thing. So this person put out a sign. So this person saw it and stayed sober another day wild. That's awesome. Do you That's, want more? I could pick a no, thousand.
0: Like, <laughs> so before we went live from both your book and your website, I copied in like 11 different stories and I'll, I'll just read the first sentence just so people can understand like what we're talking about here. Our son was a victim of suicide about 3 weeks ago and then it goes on from there. Hmm. Uh, so when I say, this is an, another one. When I say your signs saved my life, I mean, I feel like your signs pulled me out from the feeling of complete hopelessness. And then it goes on from there. I am a gay man and never did I thank anyone in my family. And then it goes on from there. I have a eating dis- disorder. Then it goes on from there. 38 days ago, I had a heart attack. It goes on from there. I'm obese and I've struggled with weight my entire life. My entire life. This morning, next one. I'm leaving for work. And a woman who stepped outside, Mm -hmm. stopped her car right in front of my house with tears in her eyes. And then she looked at the sign, she looked at me and she thanked me. It goes on from there, it goes on and on and on. Thousands of these letters Mm -hmm. that come your way from these white signs with black letters with two or three or four words on them. I know, Amy Wolf, why do you think such a simple, seemingly platitudinal (laughs) note on some stranger's front door, has the impact of reminding people (sighs) that it's like, it's okay, like we can do this. Why do you think the impact is there?
1: I don't know. I have speculations, but it almost feels like something you can't describe. Like a humanity on such a deep level, on such a spiritual level, a solidarity that is almost intoxicating I listen to you reading those things and I am speechless. I don't know why me. I don't know why this idea. I don't know why flipping cliche yard signs that I would have never, I mean, I guess I did choose to do them, but like in the back of my mind, I roll my eyes at them. And yet I can't deny what you just read. Right. I think a couple of things. Number one, I, I, I believe in the moments of sovereignty It was a phrase someone explained to me after the movement, why they thought it was working. And I completely, a light bulb for me, moments of sovereignty, facilitating moments where people see hope and they take it for themselves. No one's trying to hurry their healing. No one's shoving it down their throat. No one's trying to fix them, but they see it and they apply it to their lives. And that's powerful when we take it, when we take it for ourselves. So an unexpected number one, Simple, they're so simple. So simple that anyone can see them, their, themselves in them. I think the act of th- that, that someone would want, care enough about anyone driving by to put it in their yard, that mm-hmm. people are moved by strangers kindness. I think that's another one. <sighs> Do you have any speculations?
0: So you're a speaking coach. You know I when to left hand and when the lower your right when to pause. <laughs> yeah, I do. And when to act as if you don't know what to say next because you want <laughs> the audience to lean forward. Like yeah. you know you know how to deliver messages in an impactful manner. Mm-hmm. And you also recognize that one thing you would coach against I would imagine is utilizing platitudes. Oh. Like because it, it, it's not enough.
1: I say whatever enough. as a speaker, whatever you think people expect you to say uh, on that topic, don't say it. TED Talk, TED Talk speakers, they can sound really cliche over and over again. So if you have this overcoming story and you think, okay, then this is my overcoming TED Talk. No, that's what they expect from you. So what's your other TED Talk? <laughs> so yeah, totally. So,
0: so I think what you're doing is you're swimming counterculturally in a direction that everybody else would encourage you not to do, mm-hmm. reminding people of what they've already heard and know mm-hmm. and think mm-hmm. is stupid until mm-hmm. they come into a day. Where they're about to get divorced or they're at their wits end or they're thinking about grabbing a bottle because they've been to AA for 28 days it hasn't really made their life better and they're not sure they're up for day number 29 and then they realize don't quit you are enough whatever else the sign might say and it's just that little charge they need to pedal on forward toward that Baptist church, walk inside, sit down and stand up and say, listen, I'm an alcoholic and I'm day 29 of my recovery forward. So
1: there's another story I wanna share because I think it's really interesting. Just a couple of weeks ago on Reddit, which I am now sober from for, (laughs) I I quit Reddit, but there's a subreddit in Portland, Oregon where people can join kind of the chat and share stories and ideas. One gentleman wrote there and someone sent it, multiple people sent it to me. So there's these yard signs in this someone's yard in Portland and they are so annoying. (laughs) I rolled my eyes so hard, like, come on. Fast forward, I actually stopped seeing them. I just don't notice them anymore. Well, this week something happened in my life. My partner was unfaithful to me. They moved out. I am alone i am disoriented i'm grief stricken i'm heartbroken i'm scared and i'm waking up alone for the first time in my bed and i pull myself out to run errands so i don't get in a pit of despair and i drive by those signs that i haven't noticed in months that i rolled my eyes out when they first were staked and i have to pull over because i'm weeping this is a man. I pull over, I'm weeping because no one was here to tell me it was my fault. No one was here to tell me this morning that I am worthy of love, but those yard signs did. So thank you to the person who put out the signs that I originally scoffed at and today I needed desperately. Hmm.
0: So typically what people will say after I'm finished completing a seminar, or whatever it might be is, John, nothing you said today was new to me. Which oh what a slight you know (laughs) it's all brand new it's 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 I created it all your story I know they say but you frame it in such a manner where it reminds me of how I can take the next step forward in my journey and how I can make a difference and how we can elevate the life of someone else including the person staring back at me in the mirror and in the exact same way that is what your signs are doing and I just think it's so cool so Amy as we get ready to pivot from this story into the Live Inspired Seven. Uh, I do want to make sure that you have an opportunity to celebrate the book that was released just a couple weeks ago. And also the site where we can learn more about your signs, your mission, your impact, your outreach. So what is the big collective website where we can learn more about the work that you're doing?
1: Yeah, it's don'tgiveupsigns.com. And that's the same with our social handles. And then you can find me personally, Amy and Wolf on socials as well.
0: The book is called Signs of Hope. I crammed for our conversation over the last two days, read the entire book, loved it, and was deeply moved by it. And not just because of the signs, as you heard in this conversation. It's, it's a beautiful story of faithfulness, of humility, of strangers doing good things for others and of impacting the world one life at a time.
1: Mm -hmm. great
0: reminder that the best is yet to come. So Amy, we ask seven questions of all of our guests. Okay. We're honored to have you here. And I'm honored to eventually get your picture up on that wall behind this camera.
1: Send me a picture when you do.
0: I'll let you know. I want you to take your very best picture and then send it (laughs) my way. But the first question from the Live Inspired Seven is, what is the most impactful book or the best read Mm. you've ever enjoyed?
1: Mm. Seeds of Contemplation by Thomas Merton. Wow! The first thing that came to mind. <laughs> that was a he's big
0: book. What, what have was you about read it? Merton and that book that moved you.
1: Oh well, it's a it's a book of faith. It's from a monk. I am not Catholic, but he said what you think of God is more of a reflection of who you are than who He is. And it was a book that I read that sobered this Western Church religious experience that I've had, and it sobered it, where God was a mystery, where I can't say, my God would never, and my God thinks this of you, and God is a mystery, and so it it, it expanded my faith. It made me curious, and it changed my posture in so many ways.
0: Uh, listen, for those who have never heard the name Thomas Merton, learn more about Monk Merton because his backstory is epic, and uh, his wisdom is transformational. Yeah. Yeah. Question number two is what one positive characteristic or one trait did you possess as a little girl growing up in a small town in Oregon that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today?
1: Playfulness. Just Brené Brown. Why aren't we playing? Why can't adults play? Where's the play? Where's the no agenda? Where's the no outcome? Where's the be foolish, look foolish, have fun? I think probably many of us don't know what play is like as an adult. I have two kids. So it forces me a little bit into that play and it's still hard for me. So that, I wish that.
0: If your home caught fire and all living things, including your spouse and your daughters are out safe.
1: And my house plants. to
0: to run in and grab (laughs) one physical item. What's the one item you would come racing back outside with?
1: When I was at a sleepover as a young girl, my dad and my brother Jeremy were just tinkering tinkering around making things and chopping wood, I think, because there's a slab of wood that as a teenager, for some reason, my brother took and carved a heart and carved my name mm. and gave it to me. And I don't know why I kept it because it's a chunk of wood. It's not really pretty. I don't know how it stayed with me all these years. And now it is really beautiful to me. That is
0: so good. I know. Seriously, like we, at first glance, you think it's gonna be, well, I get the life insurance policies and then I find my bank account number and my credit cards and car key, like, but it's almost always mm. a piece of wood. I know, you know right? it's, it's Stuff that has almost no earthly value that has such None. profound value to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the next question will, Probably be as emotional for you to answer, I would imagine. If you could sit on a bench overlooking a gorgeous beach or lake on a perfect day and have a long conversation with anybody, living or dead, yeah, who would you want to be seated next to?
1: Mm. Yeah, I think the obvious answer is Jeremy, but equally for me, if someone of faith, I want to sit with God. I've been reading through the Bible lately and I want to sit with God. I was sitting on that bench. I want to say. Is this what you wanted for us? Like as a church, are we doing this right? Are, are, we, are we doing it? I, are, is it the LCD screens and the, the sanctuary? And then is it the loud music? And it, are we doing this right? Is it the signs at rallies? And is it through policy and government? We're supposed to change the world. Are we doing this right? Is this what you imagined for us? When the Hebrews went into exile, because in your fair justice, There had to be punishment when they broke your covenant, right? So they go into exile. Is this their punishment? This is the consequence of their decisions. And you call them back with compassion. And yet they're like, we want to do life our way. Are we in the same spot? Would you put us into exile? You promised you'd never do it again, but is that at the point we're at? How are we doing, Lord? Are we honoring you? Those are the questions that are burning in my mind. If I could sit, I would bring God down, sit on the bench and go, "What, what what do you think of this? Yes.
0: Well, in our next conversation, when you and I are together, either physically or virtually, and we have another podcast conversation, I will be asking you what you think God's responses to those questions you are asking him, because uh, I'm curious what you think. And I'm curious what we do with those responses as an individual and also as a community. We'll save that. We'll save your subject. <laughs> for the next one. But th- those are the right questions. And they're the questions most of us don't get around to asking, actually. What, tell me this, what, what is the best advice you've ever received?
1: I was grew up in a Christian home around Christian people and very clearly felt a couple years ago get outside of your echo chamber go get with people who are different from you. And it's been a really uncomfortable journey. Chapter seven of my book, loving people who are different, really, really healing and liberating more than I thought for me. Yeah. But in that process, I got with people. And as a person of faith, who has always been a rule follower, I got around people where I'm like, you do what on the weekends? Oh gosh. Oh, gross, sticky. Uh, uh, I don't know what to do. It feels a little dirty. And God told me through a friend, an acquaintance, really, I just need you to hate your sin more than anyone else's. Hmm. And that was the best advice. Uh, I know a lot of you who maybe aren't faith-based have felt the judgment of you're doing wrong behavior. You're doing wrong behavior. I think Jesus would tell, sitting on that bench with us, I think God would say, you're focused on behavior and not heart people. But anyway, that's, the other conversation, I need to hate my sin more than anyone else's. If I stay repentant and humble, then I can afford to give love to everyone without judging them.
0: So if you're, you are looking to create yard signs for your neighborhood, uh, you may want to begin with a white sign, black letters in these words. Hate your sin more, more. than anyone else." <laughs>
1: Because that we didn't, we did a phenomenal
0: didn't. <laughs> job from our high and mighty authority of judging the sins, the brokenness, uh, the truth, yeah. the actions of everybody else. And then we canceled them on both sides of the aisle. Both sides. But our friend, Amy Wolf has reminded us of, <laughs> one of the best pieces of advice she's ever received from a dear friend, hate your sin, hate your own brokenness, hate your own missteps far more than you're judging and hating someone else's. That's awesome. Amy, what, what would you tell your 20 year old self?
1: Mm. You're doing it. You're doing it. Just keep doing it. I don't, I don't have any wisdom other than at 20, my passion burned God, make my life count. I want to add value to people's lives and all the other human things, right? Like I am not a perfect hero by any means, but I just keep doing it. Yeah. Just keep go. Just keep doing it. My, your heart is right. Keep humble. Get with people who will call you out and keep doing it.
0: Amy Wolf, author of Signs of Hope. It has been said that all great people and authors and global movement starters can have their lives <laughs> summed up in one sentence.
1: Doesn't that do they say that?
0: How would you? Yeah, they have. It's a cool story from John F. Kennedy. Uh, we'll come back to that later on. But yeah, your life can be summed up in one sentence. How would you like your sentence
1: to read? she loved people really
0: well. I mean, Wolf, you loved people really well. You reminded us to hate our own sins far more than anyone else's. You reminded us that you are enough to not give up. Mm -hmm. And you reminded us of that in the language of our choosing. And for that, we are all grateful. I want to thank you for sharing your story, sharing your heart, sharing your grief, your recovery, your faith, and your life with us today.
1: John, what an honor. Thank you.
0: My friends, that is our newest friend. Her name is Amy Wolf. You got to check out her book. It's called Signs of Hope. My name is John O'Leary, and this is your day. Live inspired. And now a word from our friends at Keeley Companies. Keeley Companies aspires to be a true leader for businesses and communities. In the words of their CEO, my friend, his name is Rusty Keeley, with a world-class culture focused on people and customer-centric approach, we're truly in the business of people. Check more out about Keeley Companies at KeelyCompanies.com.